Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Eddie Trunk here with you, and time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday via Podcast One, Spotify, and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Go to any of those three platforms, and you can subscribe, listen, totally free, won't cost you a penny, and I thank you for doing so. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're all hanging in there. I know it's sort of like a broken record here. As we continue to deal with all of us in different ways, the pandemic and what's happening around the world, and depending upon where you are in the world, happening at various levels of severity. Some people are having no problem and seem to be doing great, and others uh, are obviously having a really rough time. Pretty much around the world, though, massive impact of some sort, and hopefully we'll We'll get to the other side of it sooner than later. Um, Continuing to see a tremendous amount of concerts being canceled, shows being canceled, the entire rock festivals this summer uh, here in America, all of them basically wiped out now all the way through the rest of the year. And sports remain a question. When we're going to get back to shows remain a question. I watched a roundtable discussion with some touring industry professionals online And the bottom line that I took away from it is nobody really knows what's going to go on. But when we do get back to shows, it is going to be a very, very different world probably for quite a while. And a lot of artists are struggling. A lot of people that work for artists and work on road crews are struggling greatly right now. Uh, There are artists, when you say artists are struggling, again, you have to keep it in perspective. If it's a major band, they are not struggling. <laughs> They're fine for a long time, years. Uh, the the club level acts, you know, those are the ones you really have to worry about. And if you can help them out and support them in some ways, that'll be great. Some of these artists are doing things to help get some money to their crew members. That's great. Keep an eye open for that stuff. And if you're in a position to be able to help and support, it's great if you can do so. And, uh, you know, we'll all hang in there and hope for the best. 
and hope things get back to normal sooner than later. Got a great podcast for you this week. As usual, you can keep up with all the things I have going on very simply by following on social media at Eddie Trunk on Twitter, where I am most active. There's also eddietrunk.com, the official online home, and of course, my Instagram and my fan page on Facebook. It's all just simply at my name, Eddie Trunk. And keep an eye on all that stuff. I'll let you know everything that's going on. I've been doing some great shows daily on volume, my daily rock talk show on Sirius XM 106. And you can hear me there every day, 2 to 4 and 10 to midnight Eastern time, talking rock and doing interviews and what have you. And the really encouraging news, which I hope is the case, is that maybe as soon as next week, fingers crossed, I will be able to go back to doing that show live. I did that show live consistently for the longest time. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, that had to be suspended. And I've been doing it as a pre-recorded show, all new every day, just pre-recorded. And that's a lot of people, by the way, have really loved them and said they've really still enjoyed the show the way I've been doing it. But I love doing live radio. I love the back and forth. I love the interactivity. And I am uh, really excited at the prospects of possibly being able to go back to that, uh, doing live shows, hopefully sooner than later. So we'll see, maybe even next week. But in the meantime, check out that show daily. And hey, if you are not a SiriusXM subscriber and you are in the U.S. or Canada, you can hear my show until May 15th on the SiriusXM app totally free. All you got to do is sign up for the app, get the app for free, and you can listen to it. And I'm trying to find the reason why I'm sort of hesitating here a little bit while I'm talking is because I'm trying to pull up. Uh, I have a special code here that uh, you can go to that will get you my show. I'm not sure where it is. Just go to the uh, Sirius XM website, which is SiriusXM.com. If you do not, already have a subscription and you will see a link there and you can sign up and get, Oh, here we go. Hold on a second. I got the link. Hold on a second. Um, no, that's not it. <laughs> Sorry. I get a lot of emails. Very confusing. Oh, here it is. Wait a minute. I got it here. Okay, here we go. You ready for this? SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. A little long, but there you go. SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. Now, I've never seen .us before, so I just said U.S. and Canada. This may be for U.S. listeners only. I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh, if you're not already on board with me on my daily show on SiriusXM and you want to hear it, that's all you got to do. Go to that address. The information on how to sign up is there, and you'll get to listen for free. They've been doing it for like a month, but it continues till May 15th, and you can hear my show daily, which is where the interviews you hear on this program originated from. 
You can hear my show live daily as it happens on the SiriusXM app. Again, that's SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. That's how you get your free SiriusXM for at least a couple more weeks via the app. So the interview I have for you on this week's podcast of like all my shows, all the interviews you hear originated a while back, not that long ago, maybe uh, four weeks, three, four weeks ago, during the pandemic though, for sure. And it was a very lengthy conversation with Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. One of the things that's been kind of cool about the way I've had to do radio lately is I need to pre-record all my interviews and a lot of artists have been nice enough to reach out to me just to say hello, see how I'm doing. And then that just leads to me saying, Hey, you want to record something for my show? And that's organically how a lot of interviews have been happening lately. And this interview with Kevin, which is over an hour long happened that way. He just dropped me a text. He's a listener to my show, Trunk Nation on volume. And he was just like, Hey, I said, Hey, Kev, you want to record something? Uh, 40th anniversary of high infidelity coming up. He said, yeah. And we just talked, shot the shit for over an hour. And that's what you're going to hear. If you're an REO Speedwagon fan, this is gold. Even if you're not, there's great stories. There's great insights. Uh, We talk about their late original guitarist, Gary Richrath. We talk about high infidelity 40 years later. Uh, So much other great stuff. Some funny stuff in here as well. Kevin's always great to talk to. And Ario's still out there and still kicking and sounding great as well, still. So I'm going to get out of the way here kind of soon, right now, as a matter of fact, so that you guys can enjoy a great lengthy podcast interview with the leader of Ario Speedwagon, Kevin Cronin, on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. It comes your way right after this. Hey. I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th, officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. All right, without further ado, let's get to it. My interview with Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. This took place uh, about three, four weeks ago. And we talk about the pandemic. We talk about REO. We talk about high infidelity 40 years later. So much great stuff in here. A nice, you guys that like the longer kind of hang conversations, this is one of them. So enjoy Kevin Cronin on this week's podcast. Kev, how are you holding up in all the madness? How are you? All right. We're, we're all right, Eddie. And, you know, I just wanted to say to you that, you know, you are an example of what everybody kind of needs to do right now. You know, the, you know, the, the way things were done, you know, a few weeks ago doesn't count anymore. So everyone, everyone who can, you know, has to kind of take a look at their, at their life, a look at their, at their job, a look at what they, add to the to the uh to the national pictures sharing information entertaining people and you know we got to do it a different way now and you have 
you were one of the first ones uh, immediately to just jump on this and go, wait a minute, I can still do this. I can still have guests on the phone. I can take emails instead of, instead of live phone calls. And you found a way to make your show just as entertaining as ever. And even more so because we're all so united right now in this thing. So, you know, I just want to thank you, Eddie. I, I appreciate it, and and uh, it's always great to talk to you. Well, it, that really means a lot to hear that. I do appreciate that a lot, and it, it I've heard it from a lot of listeners, and I know you are a regular listener, and I thank you for that. And, it, yeah, I mean, look, we're all figuring this out on the fly. We're all trying to make the best of the situation. I'm lucky that I have a home set up where – um, I can do what I do. I'm lucky I still have my job. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people don't. But whether it be what I do or what you do or what anybody does, if you can get a little creative and a little inventive and figure it out, you can maybe find a way to do some workarounds. And I, I appreciate uh, you and, and all the audience saying that. It's important to, uh, you know, I'm trying, obviously, the, the backdrop here for all of us is what we're dealing with because it's uncharted territory with this virus. But above and beyond that, uh, hopefully, for for the fans getting a chance to hear from you and some of the other guests that are willing to come on just gives them a little diversion or gives them a little different perspective on things and that's what i'm trying to do as well so i thank you for a few minutes when did this all were you guys out kevin was reo on the road Were, were you guys uh impacted as far as any cancellations yeah as a matter of fact we were and what's what's weird is we went out for about a three week run uh, and, and at the beginning of it, it was right when, you know, you kind of heard something was happening in China and then a little something was happening in Italy and a little something was happening up in, up in the Washington state area, but it hadn't really like caught fire yet, basically. So we were out doing shows about two days in, I woke up feeling like I got hit by a truck. I mean, I had a fever. I was coughing. I was, I just felt horrible. Right. And this was just when this information about the virus was coming out. Well, we played a show in South Carolina and I just had nothing. I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even do the Bob Dylan versions of my songs, which I've <laughs> been known to do when I've had a cold on, on occasion. I literally had nothing. Man. So we had to cancel a show in Clearwater and a show in Jacksonville the next couple of days because I just, I mean, I haven't canceled a show in 20 years. But I just knew I couldn't go. So the promoter in, in Clearwater, who's an old friend of mine, Bobby Rossi, has a his doctor just happens to work in the emergency room in, at the Clearwater Hospital. He said, "Why don't you go down there and check it out? You're just make sure you're okay." So I went down there and they tested my blood, swabbed my. They stuck a swab. So I, I felt like like my, like my hair stood up when when they put this swab up my nose. But um, and they did all these tests. And, and I said, well, are these tests for the, for this coronavirus thing? And the doctor says to me, have you been to China in the past uh, two months? I'm like, well, no. She goes, well, guess what? We can't give you a test. And, you know, so, so we started out the tour, you know, and luckily within about five days, I started feeling better and we finished up a bunch of dates. Uh, I know this is long winded, but but that, but getting to the hospital and not be able to get tested when you have all the symptoms was a little weird. I mean, for all I know, Eddie, I might have had it, you know, but, you know, so, so who knows? But, you know, um, I, I'm in the same boat as you. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because 
I was thinking about that myself. I was sick for about three weeks, three and a half weeks with a cough that I couldn't shake. And I went to the doctor. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't sick enough to be bedridden, but I didn't feel myself at all. And I was coughing nonstop. And I went to the doctor and, you know, they checked me out and, you know, didn't really say much. And then um, I called them again and they sent me for a chest x-ray and that came back clear. But then I said to him, I go, you know, I do a lot of traveling. I'm always on planes and what have you. I said, do you think that I should maybe get tested for this virus? Because same deal. It was in the early stages and nobody knew really what was going on. Right. And they never even, he never even responded to that. He was, you know, it was just like, no, you know, you're not, you're not going international. You're not going to China, but I don't know either. I mean, it's a great point because if, you or I did have it from what we're hearing is maybe if we maybe that then gives you a bit of an immunity to what's going on. But that Kevin, to me, that's the biggest problem here is that it seems like the story changes, at least where I am, which is just outside of New York City. So we're in a real hot spot here. But every day, the, the information is different. If you're healthy and you go out, no need to wear a mask. Now they're saying today, wear a mask. It's like, you don't know what to believe. There's people that have no symptoms. There's people that are deathly ill. There's people, of course, that die from it. So it's really sort of hard to know what's what. And I think that's the biggest problem with it right now. Yeah, I agree. And and the thing is, it's changing you know, between yes. three weeks ago when we were, when, when I went to the emergency, I guess about four weeks from now that I went to the emergency room and now it's, it's night and day. It's, it's just, it's amazing. I've never seen the world change so quickly and with, with such a great degree of uncertainty. And, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate that, um, you know, that I am healthy. My family's all, has all, my, my, I have grown kids that are in their early 20s. They've all kind of come home. My boys are studying remotely. My daughter, Holly, is working remotely. And my wife and I are here. We're all healthy. We, um, you know, we've got a yard we can go out in to, to, you know, to get out of the house. And I just think there's so many people who are, so many families around this country and around the world that are suffering now. You know, what, people who are ill and people who, whose jobs are just, they're just not there anymore. And it's, it's not their fault. You know, it's just like this, this, uh, this amazing worldwide catastrophe that's going on that everyone, you know, we're all every day trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out how to take care of our road crew. I mean, we, we love our, our road crew guys have been with us. I mean, the newest guys have been with us for 10 years. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're like our family. And, you know, so we're trying to figure out, how to take care of them. And, and then, you know, let's face it, we're looking, you know, people are talking about, you know, shows, you know, uh, playing in September, October. I'm thinking to myself, well, that would be the best case scenario of some, you know, but I mean, I, my, my gut is that, you know, it's going to be a while before people feel safe <laughs> going into rooms full of people. Let's face it, you know, so we're going to, you know, we're going to have to, I think the entertainment world is going to have to figure out alternatives. And, uh, hey, we had a, we had a band meeting yesterday. A riot. You know, it was like a, an episode of, uh, of, uh, 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 uh Family Squares or whatever that show oh, yeah. was with, with, you know, and, uh, 
So you know. Well, uh, well, speaking we'll speaking of touring, so I, I just before I called you, I jumped on your website, and the the next date you have listed is actually here on the East Coast, uh, Long Island. Uh, May 20th, Westbury Music Fair. And then you guys, REO has dates May, June, July, August. I mean, the whole run is, I mean, obviously I'm assuming that stuff is still on as of now, but is it sort of a wait-see as you see how things unfold? Yeah, it's kind of a wait-see. I mean, we've, you know, obviously we canceled, uh, you know, everything in April and, and early May. And we, we had a lot of, a lot of work on the books. It's, 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 a, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a hit, but you know, we were planning on uh, ending at, at the end of September because we thought, you know, one of the guys in the band needed a needed knee surgery. So we thought, all right, well, you know, we always, you know, kind of shut down for the holidays. So we'll just shut down a little early, you know, let Neil get his knee fixed. And uh, but he got a second opinion. And so um, so he doesn't have to have the surgery. So so we were kind of fortunate in that. October, November, December were open for us. So, you know, if, um, if it, if things do come together by then, we'll be, yeah, we're, we're moving dates. I mean, you know, the, the people that, you know, over, over at CAA and in our management office said, you gotta, gotta think, they, they booked this whole year. They did, you know, the travel agents, the bus companies, everybody did all this work to organize this entire tour. And now they're having to redo everything, you know, and, and just keeping our fingers crossed and um you know but uh you know what i'll tell you one thing that i got really lucky because i've i've been you know i i wanted to have a setup in my house where i could kind of keep my voice in shape when we were off the road i've always wanted that and never kind of had it and my monitor engineer and i came up with an idea where our front of house guy recorded a, a show of ours on multi-track but muted the lead vocal channel mm. and then they put it into garage band for me. So I can, you know, put in my earbuds and, you know, put on, a, you know, the same kind of guitar I play live and, and actually simulate singing a live show when I'm home. And I figured that was just going to be something I would use, you know, over the holidays or something. No one knew that we were going to have all this time off. So that was kind of a, a godsend. And, you know, it's just, we've all got to figure out how to, and, and it's actually kind of fun. I, like I actually kind of close my eyes and feel like I'm, you know, doing an audio speedwagon concert, which is something I enjoy doing. That's that's pretty cool. So you're basically doing, you're you're basically singing the set whenever you feel up to it with the live band. You know, hearing it as it would be played if you were on stage, and you're just you're just uh, throwing your vocal over it to keep your voice uh, in shape. You're you're so you know. I talk to so many lead singers, especially as they get older and and get on in their career, and everybody has a different idea or a different approach, I should say, about how they keep their voice in shape and keep their voice at all. Some are religious about warm-ups and cool-ups and cool-downs others are like i don't do any of that i just go out and do it <laughs> others are like it's a muscle you got to work it every day others are no you got to rest it and, and then it comes back stronger it sounds like you're of the school keep it in shape keep working it and it'll always be there for you well that's yeah that i mean and you're right everybody's voice is different i mean i know i know guys who smoke cigarettes and, and right before they go on stage and then they sing their asses off. If I, 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 I don't smoke cigarettes, never did, but if I did, I w I'd be out for three weeks. I mean, there's just no way, you know, but so for me, yeah, it works. 
you know, I, I, you know, take a little, you know, give the chords a little rest for a week or so uh, after a, a leg of the tour. But you know, then you know, you, for me, I got a, I, you know, I got a little vocal warm up thing that I do. You know, people can hear me coming backstage from a mile away because they hear all these wacky sounds that I'm making, and and uh, uh, you know, and this, but this Garage Band thing has has been kind of a lifesaver for me, and. You know, I think I told you, I'm, I've been writing a book now for, I'm in my, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in my fourth year of, of writing. If I never imagined that I would work on anything for that long a time, but so I'm planning on finishing that uh, during this off time. I'm pretty close, you know. Uh, I just kind of need to let go, I think, is, is really what I need to do. And then, you know, we just get the family together in the evening and, uh, you know, we kind of, pick shows that we're going to binge watch and that, you know, that all of us like, including Ozark. Have you seen, have well, you seen the Aria well, Ozark no, episode? Well, no, I want to touch on that in a second, but I wanted to, before we move to that, let me ask you sure. this. You said you're working on this book. So real quick on the book, is it your autobiography? Is it your story? Well, you know, I, it's, it, okay. This is so weird. We, in, in 2016, right, we did a, a huge tour, about 65 shows with, with uh, Def Leppard and Tesla. And uh, you know, I, I'm sure you know those guys. They're just sure. like the greatest. They're yes. like, you know, as, 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 as huge as Def Leppard is with their giant production and massive trucks and amazing performance. When those guys are, you know, backstage, it's like there's no, you know what I mean? There's none of that backstage uh, BS that sometimes happens. Oh, no, tour. they're, so they're, they're the real you know. deal. I mean, I'll tell you, I, and I've been doing this forever myself, and I've seen it all, but those guys, you know, they get dressed in the same dressing room. They're just, yeah, that that's a yeah. real band. They're real people, yeah. They really are, and they're so good. But So we did, we did a bunch of shows with them, came home, and, and we had a nice break, and I was kind of you know, just feeling like I had, had made the transition into, you know, from, you know, because you go from, tour bus to minivan pretty quickly you know it, it, it takes a little takes a little time to for at least for me to kind of make that transition you know you're you're living on a, on an, a, a constant adrenaline buzz for the whole tour you got people you know huge crowds you know just digging what you're doing and it, it's it's you know it puts you in a different place mentally emotionally physically whatever but so I had gotten home and I just was feeling comfortable and then we had this uh, we had a, a 30 day tour of Great Britain with uh, status quo. And I, I'm sure you're aware of the status quo phenomenon, right? They're like, yeah, you know, in huge, States, huge had, in England and virtually unknown here in America. Right. Right. The only song they had was, of course, pictures of Matchstick Man in 1968, which, which I thought was amazing. And they don't even play that anymore. I, when, I, when I asked Francis Rossi yeah, after a few shows, I'm like, Francis, are you guys going to play Matchstick Man? And he, he like looked at me like, you know, I was like, Oh <laughs> shit. Okay. Sorry. I asked, you know, <laughs> it's like one of those things. But for so the first day of the tour, I'm in Nottingham, England. I'm jet lagged. And, and I, 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 and I, a few things happen and I just kind of had a meltdown for lack of a better term, maybe an anxiety attack, some would call it. And I'm in this, I'm in my hotel room and that happens to me from time to time. Uh, less often uh, as the years have passed, but whenever it does, my kind of default move is to write, is to write down whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm going through, 
you know, no filter, just get it out there so it's out of my soul and onto the paper and hopefully, you know, I relax. But this time, I, so I was just writing about the experiences I had that day. And basically, <laughs> I just have been writing ever since. And it, it, it turns out that, it, yeah, it's my uh, kind of, uh, the title of the book is Roll With the Changes, you know, obviously, and uh, my life within and without REO Speedwagon. So it's uh, it's kind of the REO story, kind of my personal story, kind of the story, you know, how my songs kind of tell the, tell the story as I go along, which I didn't even realize until I started writing it. So it's been a, uh, it's been a really a lot of fun and, and, uh, Hey, it keeps me off the streets, you know. You know, speaking of history, there's a few things I want to touch on here with you. So this year is 40 years since High Infidelity, and or coming up on. And I didn't realize this. There's another anniversary in here I want to touch on first. And that is coming up in a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, will be your 50th year being in REO because – you know, being the lead singer, you're the face of the band for the most part, but you technically are not an original member, right? Because you weren't on the first record. You joined on the second record in what, 72? Yeah, I did. Yeah. The, you know, Neil and Alan, are, 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 Alan's not in the band anymore either. He is happily retired up in Northern California, still a great friend. But yeah, the, the band had an album out. And, you know, it's the old uh, adage, you know, you have your whole life to write your first album and a year to write your second. And uh, I think that uh, that Gary Richrath, our original, the late, great Gary Richrath, I should say, just amazing. I mean, underrated, underappreciated, just an amazing presence. I mean, his guitar playing, his, the way he put it across on stage, it was the people who saw us back in the day and, and and know what I'm talking about now. Know what I'm talking about. And, and great uh, tone, know, I, great I guitar a, tone, very identifiable. <laughs> when you heard when you heard his solos and you heard his tone, even on something like a big hit like "Keep on Loving You," that that solo just in that for you know as brief as it may be is so impactful. It just jumps out at you. It's just un, undeniable. It's just a super underrated player. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I have a chapter in my book that's called the guitar solo. That's the story of that guitar solo and keep on loving you. So, you know, this, the, my book is, I have been saying that it's as much, almost as much Gary's story as it is mine. Cause he and I, you know, basically, you know, he was looking at making their second album and looking at how many songs he had and kind of going, Oh crap. You know, I think, and he just happened to be in the Chicago guitar gallery, which is, uh, you know, the oldest and most venerable guitar store in Chicago, right downtown. And I had been in there a couple of days earlier, hanging up a flyer for my little musician's referral service. And, um, and you know, the phone number was there and Gary's mind was in that place, called the number and uh, got me. And uh, so I, uh, he told me what he was looking for. I uh, said he was looking for a, a lead singer uh, who could play some rhythm guitar and write songs. And uh, I basically told him that of the huge, uh, you know, reservoir of talent that, that I had here at the Musicians Referral Service, there was one guy in particular that I think would be the perfect person for him. 
and of course it was myself. So, uh, <laughs> so wait, you had a service? You had a service at that time in the early early seventies well, where you placed musicians? Well, that that was what the prop. Here's what it was: my band kind of splintered. It was just the drummer and myself, and we needed a guitar player and a bass player. So you could place the musicians wanted uh, advertisement in the Chicago Sun Times. I called the Chicago Sun Times, tell them what I need. I say I want the the ad to read um, wanted guitarist and bass guitarist for original music band. Very short, you know, economical. And the woman says, "Well, if you want to have run an ad for two musicians, you have to you have to pay for two separate ads." So I didn't have the money, so I had to be creative. It's just kind of what we're talking about, you know, necessity being the mother of invention. So I started. I just made up this musician's referral service and I thought, well, people will call and, you know, and of course I'll take the cream of the crop for my band, Fuchsia. And then, but I'll also be able to do a service to, you know, musicians looking for bands, bands looking for musicians. And, uh, so it, it was a, you know, it, it, it wasn't a real company. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was nothing. It was just my, my roommate and I just made it up, you know, but, uh, you know, Gary called and, and came up to um, came up to Rogers Park, which is where I was living, and I played him. I had just written this song, "Music Man," which ended up ended up being on the REO TWO record, and uh, and he reacted to that. I just played it for him on acoustic guitar up at the apartment, and uh, uh, and there's a, there's also a, an obscure. Are you, are you familiar with the Elton John song from Madman Across the Water? It's the second cut on side two. It's called Holiday Inn. I don't know that song, no. Yeah, not not many people do, but I did, and I used to play it at you know, you know solo acoustic in folk clubs, and Rich Rats did, and both of us thought that we were the only people alive that knew that <laughs> song. So when I so I played Music Man for him, and then I played Holiday Inn, and it like it blew his mind. It was like it was like that was, I think honestly, I think he felt like that was a sign. Mm. Because I got the gig like almost immediately. He, the, the rest of the band didn't even know. And you know, back in those days, Irving Azoff was our manager. We were the first. We were Irving's first management client, us and uh, Danny Fogelberg. And none of them knew what Richrath was doing. He he came down and got me. Pulled this whole kind of caper. You know, the next thing I know, I'm walking into their rehearsal studio in Champagne, and they don't even know who I am or what I'm doing there. So it was. It was definitely a trial by fire, but yeah, so 1972, that all happened, and uh, I, you know, I was out of the band for a couple of years, and uh, we both realized we needed one another, and I was back in, and been there ever since, and uh, you know, I the must say that, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the luckiest man alive, is the way I look at it, man. I, I uh, you know, as I write this book, I realize, you know, just how, how many times I just kind of stumbled into the being in the right place at the right time or I don't know, just things like that. And uh, so, you know, I just feel like, uh, like, you know, like we all just have to be mindful. Keep, keep your eyes open, uh, you know, as to what's going on around you, because you might notice something that is the, the path you're supposed to take, you know? So, and of course in these times and these, uh, you know, uh, you know, uncharted territory times, we, 
we just all have to do our part, you know, take care of ourselves and in, and in taking care of ourselves, we're taking care of others. So, um, yeah, that's, it all comes back to that. No matter, no matter what we start talking about, that's where we end up right now. Yeah, that's true. It's what's going on right now. But, but let me just wrap up. One, let me just ask you one more thing on Gary. Uh, he died a number of years ago. Is it about four or five years ago? Is that about right? It'll be, it'll be four years this coming August, yeah. And when was the last time you guys saw him or what were, did you have a, a final sort of moment with him? Did you get a chance to talk to him before the end of his life? Did, did you know it was coming? Was it a surprise? Can you take us through uh, that know, a little bit? You know, I, I was, I, it had been a long time since I'd seen him. I, we, we were kind of pulled together by, um, by VH1 behind the music and they, they kind of tried to, kind of manipulate Gary and I getting in the studio together and it kind of kind of blew up in our faces type of thing and it had been a long time but um uh you know I'd seen Gary from time to time and uh you know um the, the couple of times that I saw him it was kind of the band even though he wasn't with us anymore kind of trying to help him out uh we wanted we wanted to uh we offered to store his guitars in our locker just to make sure that they were safe because he had a he had this amazing guitar collection that he of of vintage flame top les pauls and and he was he knew his stuff man he he i remember it was like 19 1981 82 the band had had some success and he was buying les pauls and paying five thousand dollars for them and i remember going man are you crazy five thousand dollars for one guitar well guess what <laughs> each one of those guitars would probably you know, at, one, at least at one point, they were valued. You know, two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand oh, dollars. Wow. He, you know, he he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Um. So, but so, so the story I'm, that I'm trying to get to is that we so we scheduled a little lunch meeting because we hadn't seen each other in a long time, and I just wanted to connect with him, and you know, uh, and just have a chance to just you know let him you know vent with me, you know, and, and, uh, you know, cause obviously I stayed in the band, the band, you know, we went through a rough period after Gary left, but we kind of pulled ourselves out and, you know, have made quite a, quite a comeback over the past 20 or so years. And it, I just, I felt, uh, I felt sad that Gary wasn't able to be part of that with us because his music was a big part of why it happened. Let's face it. And, and you know, the, the years of road work and studio work that he put in to put the band in a position where we can make a comeback because our music, you know, just whatever, whatever happened there, you know, in, in the, in the mid nineties. But, um, so we got together for lunch and, uh, you know, and I was just like, Hey man, you know, let me have it. You know what? <laughs> you know I, I'm I'm here. You know, you know, and, and we so we we were able to air some things, have some laughs, and one of the things that came of it was there was a a, a Martin D28. It was a herringbone, uh, a Brazilian rosewood, 1943 pre-war Martin D28 that Gary bought for five grand back in those days, and I thought he was nuts. And, and, but I, I ended up kind of, um, I, it was the best acoustic guitar I'd ever touched or heard. So every time we went in the studio, there was an acoustic guitar part. I played all the acoustic parts, but Gary's guitar was better than any of my guitars. So I always used it. 
And then as the years went by, I just started bringing it home with me and using it to write on. And, so, and at one point, I created, Gary, a Les Paul that I had and, a, and an 8-track tape machine. And as the years went by, the Martin D28 went up in value. The stuff I traded Gary kind of didn't. And so he, after at the end of this lunch, he's like, man, I kind of like that that D28 back. And I'm, I, I've had it for like 30 years. I'm like, dude, I love this guitar. You know, <laughs> this guitar, it's like, it's part of me, you know? And I begged him. I tried everything. So so we were supposed to meet to, you know, t- for me to bring the guitar back to him. And I thought, I'm going to bring, I, I looked in my guitar locker and I found an old, fifth, I think a 1951 Fender Telecaster. It was the first year they made Telecasters. So they hadn't named it yet. So there's no name on the headstock, so they just call them a no-caster. And guitar collectors know what I'm talking about. It's a very rare Fender, what would become the Telecaster. So I I threw that in the back of my SUV, and I thought maybe, because Gary's an electric player, I thought maybe when when I go to get the Martin, I'll kind of ask him about this Fender, and and maybe he'll go, you know, I kind of like that. So this was my plan. So we get there, and I, I give him the, the Martin, and I open the, the, this old Fender case. I'm like, hey, Gary, what do you think about this guitar? He, he looks at me, he goes, that's mine, too. <laughs> I go, I go, bullshit. You know, I thought he was kidding. So so we walk away. You know, he just takes the Martin. The, the Fender is back in my SUV. We're walking toward his truck, and I could tell that, you know, Gary's a real straightforward guy, you know? So I look at him, I go, Dude, were you serious about that? About that? The the fender? He goes, yeah. He goes, my house got broken into a few years back, and a bunch of my guitars got stolen. And I just assumed that guitar was one of the ones that got stolen. Come come to find out that you know I I play Telecasters on stage. Our crew at the end of the tour back in the you know in 1981 or something probably just saw a Telecaster, put it in with my stuff, and there it had been, been for whatever thirty years, so basically Gary drove away with about with two uh, uh, with the two flagship guitars in my collection. Oh wow! But, uh, but you know what? It you know it it was like oh man that that, that kind of hurts. And then I was like, oh wait a minute, these are these are Gary's guitars. <laughs> this is you know it made me feel great that, that that you know that this guitar that he thought was stolen all these years, you know, but. That acoustic man, that Martin acoustic, that that hurt. You know, I I, I thought he would. I, I offered to buy it from him. You know, he and he didn't. He just. It's just a really special guitar, and God knows where it is now. Well, but, I was going to uh, ask you. Now, sadly, with him passing away, and you said he had all these incredibly valuable guitars. Do you know where they are now? Did he have kids or anyone he may have left them to, or do you know what happened to him? <laughs> well, he has he has two sons. Uh, one of one of whom. Uh, I think they both play guitar, actually. Oh. Uh, and uh, but sadly, you know, over the years, uh, you know, Gary, I think, sold off some of those Les Pauls. Um, uh, some of them were stolen, you know, from from his house, uh, and, you know, in in the robbery that he thought that this that this missing Fender was was from. Uh, so I don't know exactly how many guitars he had left. Um, you know, at that point, I, I know he had that Martin in his possession and, uh, you know, I don't know where that is now. And 
uh, I think he had a couple of Les Pauls, that, and and I think that uh, my, my guess is that his sons will probably uh, end up with them if they haven't yet. I know that you know, you know, there's when there's uh, you know, Gary's life was 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 pretty you know was a little complicated, so I'm sure it probably took a while for them to sort everything out. Right. But uh, um, yeah, he was you know he was a, he. Gary was a, you know, he was a farm boy. I mean, he grew up in, in rural Southern Illinois outside of Peoria. And, uh, but he, he, he just, um, so he had that side of him, but he also, I think just because he just had this look about him that was, uh, you know, back in the day and then, you know, and then, and then he, when he played guitar, man, he just became one with that left yeah. Paul. He had that fringed strap. And he just his you know he was an he was an athletic guy, so the way he played guitar was very was very physical. It was I mean I don't want to compare him to Hendrix, but you know how when Hendrix played, his whole body became sure. it became what the guitar became just an appendage, you know. And you know Gary had that uh, that kind of talent with the guitar. He just he be, he was making love to it, man. You know, when he yeah. played it, he was when he his finger vibrato, man. You you know, he drove the girls wild, and 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 you know, there was, there was no mystery about uh, you know <laughs> certain certain things that he did, man. He he was he was a master. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I never I never had a chance to meet him, but I saw you guys play with you know countless times back in the day. Of course, when he was in the band, and it was just uh, yeah. he really cut through, man. He really that was really incredible. And of course, you know Dave Amato, who's been in the band now. How long's Dave been there? About twenty years, probably, yeah. right? Yeah, he, no, he's been with for thirty years. Thirty, I mean, and yeah. <laughs> Dave's amazing. I mean, what I mean, what a great what a great way to I mean to bring Dave in as a player vocally. Everything's a hell of a nice guy. It's just you know, I mean, that's you couldn't have found a better guy to to get in there. No, you're you're so ready, and Brian hit as well. I mean, they both sure joined the band in in eighty nine, and you know they've been with us ever since. This 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 uh, setup of Audio Speedwagon has the most longevity of any. Of any of them, you know. Now, of course, what we call the classic lineup, you know, was there when all the when all the big records got made. So, it, you know, so it it balances out, you know. But Dave and Brian, you know, they they found a way to honor Air, uh, Gary and Alan, you know, and 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 retain the the essence of what those guys did. You know, there's certain solos that Dave plays that he's. I mean, you know, the way Gary he was so expressive and so melodic and. In, in some of the big REO hits, but those solos, it's like people, it's like a vocal, you know, it's, it, you, you just can hum it. So, so those, those solos that Dave has been really, um, you know, uh, loyal to, but there's also songs like back on the road where it's just a freaking jam. And, you know, Dave just, you know, takes off and, and like you say, he's, a, he's an amazing singer and just a, he's kind of a social glue. You know, if, if there's a three band uh, tour going on, Dave just has this way of, you know, he just connects with the road crew, connects with every, and he kind of has a way of bringing everyone together. So he's really a, uh, a an amazing asset on so many levels to the band, you know. And uh, but you know, when you were talking about Gary, it made me and having seen us back in the day when Gary was in the band, one of my biggest, um, it's it's a kind of a, not a frustration, but you know, Gary was at his prime. You know, between 
you know, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81. You know, that was his at his prime. And back then, I was still kind of, I was still kind of learning the ropes to a certain degree, Eddie. I'll be honest with you. Even though we were selling huge amounts of records, I, I, you know, so my frustration is I wish that I could be what I am now. You know, I think I'm, I feel like I'm singing better now. I'm more, you know, I'm just more expressive with my voice now. And I wish that I could transport myself now back to those days with Gary at his time, you know, and of course that's not possible, but, um, you know, anyway. Well, when you talk about the classic, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the classic period, there's two things I want to hit you with, with that. We, I did a show the other day, each week I'm doing these top five shows just because people are having fun with them and everybody is home yep. and making lists and what have you. So yeah, I did I, a, I love, uh, I yeah, so I did a, I did a show just last <laughs> week, uh, top five, live albums and your 77 live album came up a few different times on on a few different lists um what what were your recollections of that because obviously that was just before you had the 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 gargantuan 10 million selling high infidelity but you still had had some hits and i'm sure there were still pockets of america that were still um that were huge for you guys and you you look at uh the seventies, it it was the decade of the live album. It was the double live album usually broke bands. It was the now live albums I think are kind of viewed as a bit of a throwaway, but in the seventies they were landmark releases. What what are your recollections of doing that live album back in the seventies? And here's a question for you, because every time I ask artists about this, now that you're past like the thirty, forty year statue of limitations, they tell the truth about it. How was it all live? Or did you or like most seventies <laughs> live albums, did you have to go in and redo everything? No, I, I can honestly tell you, Eddie, that those were live albums. Those were real live albums. We we played Atlanta, Indianapolis, St. Louis, and Kansas City. Those were our four top major cities that, that had kind of uh, uh, discovered us, for lack of a better term. We didn't really have any hits. I mean, Riding the Storm Out was kind of made a little blip on, on FM radio, but the version that had been out came out when I was out of the band and had Mike Murphy, who's a talented guy, great guy, amazing keyboard player, great singer, but didn't really fit in stylistically as, you know, with Ario Speedwagon. And so it was his voice on the record. So we didn't really have any hits, but we had songs that in the Midwest primarily, uh, you know, were, were well known, Golden Country, um, like you do, um, Music Man, Riding a Storm Out, Son of a Poor Man, songs that people on the coast wouldn't even hadn't even heard of. But what happened is Peter Frampton was kind of in a similar situation as us, is in as much as he had he had songs that could have been hits if anyone played them on the radio, but people were kind of averse to playing rock on top forty radio and you know, all the record companies wanted their rock bands to have a, a, a hit single on Top 40 Radio because that would be the catalyst to getting bringing attention to the to the album. So, um, so Peter Frampton put out a live album with songs that ended up becoming hits. And and as you said, up until then, live albums were just kind of a uh, you know, a way to, to stall for time so a band could write some more songs. 
you know. But Peter Frampton went out there and really, you know, made a great sounding album. Uh, you know, he, you know, he had the gatefold double album with his picture on the cover. And, you know, he, the girls liked Peter, man. He was, he was cute with the, the hair and everything. And, yeah. but Rich Rap had that same thing. So Rich Rap had the idea to put out a double live album and put a really good picture of him on, on the cover as, as well as the rest of us. But, um, and, and the record company went along with it because they saw Peter Frampton, you know, I don't know how many records he sold, but it was a hugely successful uh, hit album, which was a live album. So the record company, now now record companies were like, oh, I see. So they gave us a shot with the double live album and they let Gary co-produce it. That was the key. And uh, so, um, uh, and Gary wanted a record that would sound like what he imagined the band sounded like in an arena, which is where we always played. So we, um, we, we had live mics, you know, in the arena when we played, uh, which we recorded and, uh, we, you know, the record plant truck came out and no, there were no overdubs on that record. Back in those days, people didn't overdub on live albums. That didn't start till later. Um, but, uh, no, they but went we in and re- re- no, they didn't overdub. They didn't overdub on them. They went in the studio and just recorded them <laughs> and flew in some applause tracks and said they were yeah, live records. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. you know that's been pretty much a, a number of acts. Everybody, you know, Kiss Alive. I mean, a bunch of those artists have basically admitted that at this point. It's been you know long enough, but there there a lot. Of, you're saying they did that? Oh God, yeah, yeah. Eddie no Kramer, Eddie Kramer, who produced Kiss Alive, told me pretty much. The only thing live on it was the drums. Some of the some of the uh, applause on the record isn't even from a Kiss show. They took it from oh, another recording. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know. Well, but but the funny thing the funny thing about it, Kevin, is <laughs> the idea. You know, when you say that, and there's been a bunch of records, not just Kiss Alive. There's a ton of live records from the '70s that claim has been leveled against. But the immediate reaction when you hear that is people are like, "Well, that's because they couldn't." Play player they must suck as players that's not actually the reason it's just they they had you know they have they they had issues with the recording the tuning broken strings and then once you open a rabbit hole it's all of a sudden like well we might as well redo that when we're in the studio (laughs) our our mutual our dear mutual friend sammy hagar told me that the Van Halen live record that he did, he he was frustrated because he said Eddie Van Halen started picking at it and doing some stuff, and then when he did it, he set the tempo off or the sync off on everything else to the point that he had to come in and re-record all his vocals. And he said, at the end of the day, it went from being a pretty cool live record to nothing live but the applause. Because once oh. you open that box, it's like... Oh shit! I guess we just got to keep doing this, and well, let's do that. Let's yeah. do that. So it becomes a it's, crazy spiral. It's tempting, and hey, and I'm not going to say that that since 1977. I mean, we've done some uh, some live, you know, uh, live TV show things where you know it's like if you're just going to hear something once, in a, you know, in in the room where it happens, you don't you don't notice the the, the flaws because you're. You're there, and the audience is there, and it's the experience. But if something's going to get replayed, you know, on a DVD over and over right, again, right, yeah, right, sure, right, we right. go in. And, and if there's a if there's a, a a note that is just excruciatingly sour, you know, sure, I'll go a in. A clam, and, but, as they call it, <laughs> if you a, hit clam, a clam. As they call it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, we've got a great 
a great producer engineer who's really, really good at, you know, that so that you can go in and really surgically just fix something that's going to be annoying sure. if you don't without having to redo the whole thing. I mean, you, you don't, you don't have to redo the whole thing. There are, believe me, there, there's, there are ways to just go in, like I say, surgically fix a certain thing. It's possible. But, you know, the good thing about what we did is back in 77, you know, the record plant was the top studio. There was one in New York, one in LA, one in San Francisco and Sausalito. That was the, that was the top place to, to record. I mean, you know, I'd be walking down the hall and here comes George Harrison around one corner and then Al Cooper comes out of a studio. This one, I, this one night, I'm walking down the, the, the hall at Record Plant uh, LA down on 3rd Street, and Al Cooper comes out of a stu- studio. I'd never met the man, and, and I just happened to be there. It was about 7 o'clock at night, and he's like, hey, dude, you want to you run across the street and have lunch? I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's Al Cooper. You know, he doesn't know me from a, from a hole in the wall. We go over, we go across the street to this diner and we're talking. And of course, you know, all, all I want to do is ask him about the organ lick in, you know, in like a Rolling Stone, you know? And so I, I waited for my, for my spot and got the story from him, you know, back, this was probably 76, you know, so it was back now it's kind of common knowledge, I think, but, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff that used to happen at the record plant and uh but they also had a a mobile recording truck that was state-of-the-art i mean it was it was the shit and luckily you know irving had an in with the record plant because he by that time he managed the eagles and joe walsh and other people so he had a you know we he kind of grandfathered us in at the record plant to a lot of a lot of things and uh so we got that record plant truck to come out and, and it recorded um, all four of the shows. So, uh, so and, and so as a result, the you know the, the engineering was great. They had great microphones. That they knew they knew how to do it. They knew yeah. how to how to record a live show and also make it sound good. And um, and and I, I will say that Gary uh, and uh, and the engineers there did a great job mixing it. So, uh, you know they. You know, we wanted it to be live, and there it was. And that was the record that kind of put Ario Speedwagon a little bit on the map, you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I remember having it and cranking it, and Gary Solo was on there and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. It was very, yeah, it was great. You know, moving forward a few years, speaking of hits now, we're looking at very quickly coming up on, if we haven't hit it already, the 40th anniversary of what is the landmark REO record, 10 million plus selling in America alone, a rare diamond record, high in fidelity, and of course, keep on loving you and take it on the run and all the huge, great songs on that record. The plan for that, Kevin, to celebrate 40 years of high infidelity, are you going to go out and play it in its entirety and do one of those deals? Anything special you can talk about with that? Yeah, well, you know, before I talk about that, you know, the the thing that comes to mind to, to me is when you said the 40 year anniversary, I'm, you know, 40 years ago now, it, you know, next 40 years ago, next year, that's when the, you know, the shit at the fan, it was, you know, every rock and roll dream that you had as a kid came true and, you know, 10 times what you could have imagined. But 40 years ago, right now is when we were writing the songs, you know, rehearsing the songs, 
making demos of the songs, going in the studio, making the record. And, you know, when you're in that phase of it, you you don't know yet <laughs> what, what what the future holds. You're just making a record, doing the best you can, putting one foot in front of the other, writing the best songs you can, um, you know, making the best record you can. But 40 years ago now is where, you know, this was the, you know, this was digging the foundation. It came know, out, it was actually, it was actually released at the end of, very end of 1980, right? It was, yeah, we were, you know, yeah, we, they wanted to release it um, in mid-November because the record company was starting to kind of get an inkling that there was something you know, it, it just happens when, when when a record starts taking shape toward toward the final phases. Word starts getting out. You know, whether it's through the studio second engineers or you know record company people that come in and have a listen to a rough mix or whatever. But you know, you you definitely get a little buzz from you know when you know you got some songs that you kind of start going. You know, there's something kind of special about what's happening here. And and by the time we were into the recording of High Infidelity there was a little bit of a feeling that we had never quite had that feeling before a little bit on the, on you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish, but there was the, the stars were lined up Eddie for high fidelity that in so many ways that, um, that, you know, it's, uh, you know, we don't have time to go, to go through it all. But I guess what I was saying is that 40 years ago now is when we were, this is, this is where the, the, the work was, you know, and, and, and when you're when you're working on a record, you don't you know it's like if you knew in advance that the song was going to be number one, like I might have changed a couple of the lyrics and keep on loving you. But had I done that, maybe those were the exact words that could that you know the uh, the you know just bearing my soul, and maybe that's part of what people were going ah okay I feel the soulfulness here. right so you know um, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know you know what's interesting about it when I when I look at it, and I'm a you know I'm such a hardcore geek with with music and records. I love I I go through when I I go through every liner note. I read credits. I read who wrote the songs, what have you. So with that record, yeah, you you guys you guys all wrote individually. In other words, uh, don't let him go. Keep on loving you, uh, tough guys. That's you, soul songwriter. And then Gary's got three four songs, soul songwriter. Um, Bruce has a song. So you guys didn't really write together. You kind of all just bought in material. And how, how did that work? Whoever whoever the producer decides whoever's got the best songs, that's what goes on. Well, by that time, you know, we were producing ourselves, which was pretty cool. We, we, we didn't, we had no outside producer involved. We would, we would, um, we, we kind of got in the habit of, of making our engineer a co-producer just because, uh, ever since we started producing ourselves, I realized how much I don't know about, uh, engineering records. So we, we, we always got, great engineers from Paul Grupp to Kevin Beamish to David DeVore. And uh, it was always our feeling that, that they're part of the, how can they not be part of the production of a record? They're the guys who are recording the music. You right. know? And that's, so, so to, to, to kind of leave them on the outside when it came to, you know, if a record does well, the producers get, get royalties on that record forever. The engineer just gets paid an hourly rate for the for the work he does, unless you share the production credit with them. And that was always my feeling that the you know the, the engineer 
absolutely should should be a part of the production team. Um, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so, so but you didn't really write as a group. You wrote individually. You you brought this. Well, everybody yeah, brought their own things in. Well, you know, for I kind of did because I I kind of come from a folk music uh, place, um, and then I would kind of. Uh, you know, and Rich Rath would just have notebooks full of, you know, lyrics and songs everywhere. I would kind of finish songs. You know, I, I, I didn't have as many songs, but the ones I finished were, you know, were, were good enough to be, be on the record. And, but Gary was like a, it was just like a wild, the wild, wild west. I would, I'd go out to his studio and we, there'd be no spiral notebooks all over the floor, you know, tapes, cassette tapes. So, so I kind of would, would kind of, um, I would, uh, what's, I would kind of curate, you know, Gary's notebooks and kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the classic story is we, we had one of those uh, meetings where I would go out there and kind of help him go through his stuff and nothing, nothing really happened. And, and uh, I was getting up to leave and Gary goes, you know, I got this, I got this one slow one. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's any good and, you know, but you know, it's called don't let me down. And I'm like, uh, kind of that, Title's been used a couple times, you know, the Beatles and the Animals. Maybe you heard of them, but uh, but I'm like, sure, I'll give it a listen, man. So, um, you know, because slow songs were usually kind of my department. So, Gary puts on this this demo, and I hear, heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend who, heard it from another you've been messing around. Of course, with Gary's voice, Gary was many things. He was not a singer, <laughs> but. <laughs> But I heard those. That, I heard that opening line, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's like the best opening line that either of us has ever written ever." And he almost didn't play it for me, you know. And uh, of course, but, "Take uh, It on the Run," one of my favorite songs on the whole record. Sure, ends, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and and but it was called "Don't Let Me Down," and you know, so so I would kind of help Gary just with with the, just a little finishing touch of you know taking that heard it from a friend and putting it again at the end, you know, just little things like that. So we, and, and, and his guitar parts on my songs, you know, uh, fundamentally changed the song. I mean, keep on loving you was a little piano ballad. And, you know, when, when, when Gary put that, you know, the Marshall stack, Les Paul sound on it, all of a sudden this song just became gigantic. Uh, so, yeah. Our writing was more like, you know, we didn't sit down and co-write songs in the traditional sense of co-writing, but each of us, uh, uh, you know, uh, put our mark on the other one's songs, put it that way. And, and, and that was the, that was where the collaboration came. It came in the rehearsal studio and in the recording studio. Couple, couple other quick things on High Infidelity. So the album cover, I always wanted to know about this. The album cover, is that you in the background putting the record on? <laughs> Well, you know, originally they had like some some male model actor guy going to do it, you know, and of course the girl with the inner underwear is kind of standing there, and they had this this whole set, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there, I, you know, I went to, the, I was the only one in the band to go to the photo session. I mean, I was, you know, that record meant everything to me, Eddie. I, I just had so much invested in it, and so I, you know, if there was something happening that had to do with that record, I was there, you know. So I was at the 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 photo shoot and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I, I'm they, you know they took some shots and it's like all he did was stand there bent over, you know putting a record on the turntable. I'm like, well I can do that, you know. So <laughs> yeah, so I kind of 
I kind of tapped him out and, uh, and took over. <laughs> Did the band say anything after they saw the cover and said, hey, wait a minute, now you're on the cover and we're not? We know how egos can be, Kev. <laughs> you know, you know, we, we once worked with, with a man who is one of my, I hold him in such high esteem uh, for reasons that I explain in detail in the book, but uh, I'm, you're, you're probably familiar with John Boylan. John Boylan started his career as, as a producer for Linda Ronstadt. He was the, the producer and uh, uh, of Boston's debut album, um, uh, Little River Band. He was just and just a just a, a his soul is like he he was the guy that 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 uh, came with us and, and kind of sat in the room during the tuna fish record while we were producing. Just kind of hung out there with us. But at any rate, his his one of his rules was if you're not there for an overdub, you can't complain about it when the record comes out. <laughs> So it's like they yeah. weren't there, right? They they, they were doing there. something else. You took the initiative to go. So so there you go. And when and then one last thing on high infidelity, and then I want to ask you about Ozark, and I'll, I'll let you run. But I I wanted to ask about I I never so I'm I'm pecking around on the Ario Speedwagon website, and you have some videos up there, and you've got a block of the ten uh, ten eleven minutes uh, of of three or four videos that were done for high infidelity. I I don't remember oh, why. I don't remember why, but I don't remember in all the times I saw uh Keep on Loving You on MTV. I don't did they cut off the intro piece where you're talking to the shrink? Because for because I only recently saw that for the first time and I'm like there, there's a there's a for people that don't know if you watch the the full-length cut of the video which is on the Aria website it's it's Kevin on a uh, you know talking to a psychiatrist about his love for this girl and it's a whole storyline. But w- was the video later re-edited with that out of there? Because I don't remember that stuff. I you know I did everything in my power to edit that out of every possible. <laughs> well, it's now on your official fact, website, bud. You better talk to someone. My, <laughs> the fact that it's on my official website is like. I guess I need to check out the website once in a while. You better there. get Consolo on the phone now. <laughs> no kidding. I know. Uh, you know, that was not my finest hour, Eddie. You know, I, I, I will say that I, I have a great respect for the art of acting. You know, people, you know, great actors make it look easy. Uh, you know, and I know people that are just natural at it. You know, Bruce, our bass player, in, in, in our videos, he's just, if you watch any of the old audio videos, he's hilarious. Same thing with Neil. Very just, they they can just do it you know and for me uh you know it just doesn't work i just uh i uh you know i you know, but uh, yeah, hey, it was it a was, sign um, of the times. It wasn't that bad. But the the question <laughs> is, was it later cut out? Because I don't remember MTV showing that part. You know, I I don't I I can't answer that question. I know that that you know this was you know when we were making those videos, MTV wasn't on the air yet, right? Um, it, it, you know, so this was all kind of happening at the same time. Which let's face it, talk about. You know, I talked earlier about stumbling into some amazing opportunities. The fact that High Infidelity was the biggest album in the world when MTV came on the air, and then it made this this you know this amazing sea change in in rock and roll and in, in music. The fact that those things happened uh, coincidentally, you know, that was that was huge for us. But but that video was made before MTV. So the record companies knew, for, you know, they were starting to make videos 
but no one really knew why. You know, we made the, all the high fidelity videos. We the, those kind of acting type videos. We did those all in like one afternoon. It was like you know, you know, a few years later, you would spend a week and right. you know, on location, you know, for a million dollars. We, you know, so uh, yeah, they they may have edited that off. They they may have edited it off. At, at my request, I, I don't know. I, 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 wouldn't, I think I, that, I think uh, my my assumption is that the that when MTV started, maybe shortly after that, they probably the label probably serviced some sort of re edited version with some of that out of there because I I just don't remember it. But I thought it was uh, well before Kevin has it taken off his site. Everybody go check it out at ariospeedwagon <laughs> yeah, com. Hey, last thanks for bringing everyone. Uh... <laughs> no, it's great, man. It's forty. Uh, look, it's forty geez. years ago. It's fun to look at. <laughs> and and the last thing speaking of acting and this is a nice tie-in so i i have not uh, i just started watching the show ozark on netflix i'm in the first season but i understand that you and the band made a cameo on a recent episode well i, you know, I will tell you that yeah you're in season one stay with it it's just an amazing show it gets it gets better and better uh but yeah in season three Oh, and I can also tell you that that the good vibes, you know, because we we were down there on set with with the, their production, their people. The good vibes. J- Jason Bateman is just like I mean, I just love the guy. I met him once, and I, you know, just one of those kind of people that that. Um, anyway, so yeah, so in season three, which just dropped a couple of days ago, season three, episode three, um, <laughs> is actually, you know. I, you haven't seen it yet, but the episode is actually called, and I had nothing to do with this. So we're down on on location, you know, to to do this scene that we're doing uh, for the show. I don't want to give anything away, and and um and so they're showing us the script, and that you know, so we're kind of seeing how we fit in and how the song fits in and everything. And I look at the script, and the and the and it says episode, it says title, and it says. Kevin Cronin was here. So I just thought, you know, that maybe someone just for that day, because we were going to be there, they just put that on there. Maybe it was a joke. I didn't know what to think of it, but sure enough, episode uh, season three drops. And, you know, we, we, you know, we were ready to watch it. We've been waiting because we're, you know, we're right up to date and there it is. Season three, episode three is actually that, that's what they ended up calling it. So it's, so we have a, you know, it's a little more than a cameo role. I mean, they just, they shout us out like a million times. They play our music. It's just, it's one of the most, um, you know, Tommy Shaw, who is, you know, close friend and, and ally of mine. He, he texted me immediately because he's a big fan of the show. And his, he said, it's, I'm so happy to see the respect that, that the Ozark production showed you guys. And, I, you know, I was so, like, so are you I'm actually, so, of- Kevin, let me just be clear on this. And I don't want you to give any spoilers away for people who haven't watched it yet, like myself, but are you guys actually in it or are they using yeah. your music and they reference you? No, well, they use our, ref- our music. They reference us. We're in it. Uh, so you, you actually know. shot in the show. Like they approached, you actually did oh, yeah. a shoot. So you're actually oh, yeah. in the episode. We're in the episode. And, and, and I've had a, you know, I, I can't really talk about it, especially before it dropped, you know, but, but, uh, still there's a lot of people that like yourself that, you know, that are, 
are going to get there. And, yeah, we're and behind. Yeah, three when they get there. But no, we were there. We uh, we we uh, you know, they it was we spent a day on location and. Uh, it was, it was, you know, they use our music. They, they, in, in the, at the very beginning of the season in episode one, that is the first time they reference us. And so we're kind of a running little thing that's happening. And then even in episode four, after our episode, they reference us again and they, they really wouldn't have had to, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, we, had, we, we, we really connected well when we went down there and, Obviously, someone in the in the production is an Ario Speedwagon fan, because um, but but the song they chose kind of fits in with the plot line. And, is it uh, time for me to fly? Yeah. Is that what I heard? Time for me to fly. Is it is time for me to fly. Yeah, yeah. and and, and the, the, you know they use a the they use the radio version. You know, it's coming out of a car radio. They use a live version for the for the live. Uh, it was it was quite a quite a little uh, endeavor. You know, and and uh, you know we. Uh, we had a great time. It was a great shot for us. And uh, as Tommy Shaw, you know, I think when Tommy Shaw sent me that text, I'm like, wow, what is, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that, you know, <laughs> uh, but it was, but it was really true. They really, that he, you know, Tommy is one of those guys who, uh, you know, when, when he talks, you listen because he's, you know, he, uh, he, he he's one of those guys who he's a real straight shooter. And, so I, you know, when he when he said that, it made me think. I'm like, oh yeah, they really did. They really they actually mentioned the name Ario Speedwagon more than they had to. You know, usually a TV show, you, you know, says the name of the band as little as possible. They you know they they want to, but but the but the Ozark thing, they just they went out of their way to shout us out. You know, so it was it was very very cool. Well, listen, man, it's great that even after all these decades, still cool stuff happening for you and the guys and the band. And uh, I guess the plan here going forward now, like like everybody, you're just going to be watching and waiting and hoping that you can get back out on the road and the dates that you do have scheduled right now do come off and take it day by day. I mean, that's really all anybody can do at this point, right? That's all anybody can do, man. And, you know, I, again, I think we all have to, um, you know, so we're hitting the, you know, that, the April 1st mark. So people have been, you know, self, uh, self isolating and, you know, keeping the social distancing for, you know, for a good three weeks now. And so the, you know, the novelty has worn off, you know, and, and there's, and people who lost their jobs, it's been long enough now that, okay, those, you know, those first of the month bills are coming in and I've got no income, you know, for, for so many families, uh, families who, you know, have a family member who is suffering with the actual virus now, you know, or testing positive. And, you know, these are just, these are just really, uh, you know, trying times for a lot of people. And, and, uh, you know, the medical professionals, I, you know, I tell you what, Eddie, I've been to the grocery store a couple of times and I, every person I see in the grocery store that's working there from the checkers, from, I'm like, Thank you so much yeah. for coming to work and, and, and putting yourself at, at, you know, in danger here. I mean, these are, you know, people that work in a, in a grocery store, you would never, you, you never used to think of them as being courageous. Right. You never think of that as a frontline job, but it is right now. Absolutely. It is, man. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if, if, if everybody just there decides, I'm not going to take a chance on getting sick and doesn't come to work. Well, guess what? We're, we're not eating, you know, right. and, you know, and, 
then, you know, the, when you think of the medical uh, the, uh, professionals, the paramedics, yeah. the nurses, the doctors, the people that work in the hospitals, I mean, those people, you know, are under battle conditions without proper supplies yet. You know, we're catching up on that. So everybody, you know, we all have to counter blessings, the ones that we have, and keep ourselves inside. Stay home. You know, everybody is, wants to go out because we're, we're cooped up, and, but we can't do it. And, and, and if, if anyone's tempted to, you got to put yourself for a second in the shoes of one of those first responders, frontline medical people who are risking their lives. It's like, and all we're asked to do is stay inside. I think the least we can do to, to support them is to do it at whatever we can to, to, to slow down the spread of this thing. So the medical uh, scientists can get a handle on it. And, and, uh, you know, that, so everyone's got to do their thing. And, and those of us like you, that we kind of started out this conversation, Eddie, by me, uh, you know, thanking you for, you know, this is, you know, you've had to, you know, change your whole vibe and figure out a new way of, of doing your show. And so we've all got to be creative too. And, and if there's any things that we can do that are helpful, that don't put anybody in danger, that, you know, bring a laugh or, uh, uh some information, some music, whatever into the public, uh, uh, domain or the public uh, arena, for lack of a better word. Um, you know, well, we're just going to do what we can, you know, take care of ourselves and take care of others and, uh, you know, be grateful for, um, for the, for what we have and, and, uh, be mindful of others who are less fortunate. And, uh, we're going to get through this. You know, I, uh, I'll leave you with this. I, I, I knew a, a guy, he was kind of a, uh, a little bit of a, of a guru, uh, it, uh, father figure type guy to me, probably, you know, six or so years older than me, martial arts master, uh, psychologist, uh, you know, doctor of psychology, just this real, you know, advanced soul type of thing, you know? And so one day I was just, uh, you know, at the, going through a really rough time bottoming out and I'm by myself and, and he always said, you know, call me if, if, if you ever need me. And I never had, and I was just like, I need, I, I got it. This is, you know, he, this is the opportunity, you know, so I call him up and, uh, you know, we're, I'm talking for a while and he, and I'm waiting for this word, like, you know, the, the, the Maharishi, I'm waiting for these words of wisdom that are going to, you know, suddenly make my, you know, brighten up my day and give me a new outlook on life, you know, so I'm waiting for it. And he goes, he goes, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. He goes, repeat this over and over in in your mind. Things are going to get better. I'm like, that's all you got for me. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, just, just do it and see what happens. I'm like, Oh, great. You know, so I'm like, okay, you know, I was, I, I had nowhere else to turn. So I started doing it. I go, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. And I repeated it, came, came a little bit of a mantra and it worked. And sure enough, things do get better. You know, things are going to get better. They might get worse first. You know, I'm not, I'm not being, I'm not being naive here, right. but, but, 
things are going to get better. You know, we're going to get through this. You know, we all just have to do our thing. So yeah. that's, that's what I wanted to leave you with. No, you know? and you're right. I mean, and that's a good, a good message to leave everybody with. And if everybody does the right things now and can suck it up for a little while longer, uh, that's all the sooner that bands like REO and all the other bands that we love, we can get back out there, do what we do, and get out in those theaters and amphitheaters and clubs and venues and stadiums and arenas and take in all the live music and have all those great communal experiences with our friends that we love. And that's what everybody wants back. And I think that if we can just suck it up a little bit longer, we'll get there a lot quicker than, uh, you know, than, than if not. So hopefully that indeed is the case, man. And we'll see you out there doing your thing uh, in the very near future. Listen, I, I greatly appreciate the kind words and I appreciate all the time. I love having, you know, I love when artists can just come on and sort of shoot the shit and have time to just talk and get into all sorts of different stuff. And that's exactly what we just did for the last, uh, last hour and change. So best to you, <laughs> best to your family. And uh, I hope to see you soon. Hopefully, Hopefully I can get on a plane. I've been coming to L.A. once a month for the last couple of years, and that's suspended. But hopefully that will resume soon, and we can see you soon and get you out there at maybe one of our rainbow broadcasts and have some fun oh, I there. I love that. Man. Yeah, so we got to sort all the- that out, get back to normal sooner than later. Yeah, I've been the rainbow in so long. But I did want to just mention one thing, that you know we, we talked about the 40th anniversary of High Fidelity, which will be you know, the, the 40th anniversary of the work is this year. Next year is the 40th anniversary of the celebration, and we're we do have a, a tour already booked, and and uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a great tour, um, a great co-headline uh, uh, band with us who who will also be celebrating the 40th year of one of their landmark albums, which actually was neck and neck with us all the, for the, the entire year of 1981. And uh, now we're the best of friends. And I'll, I'll keep that, uh, you know, I'm not going to... Oh, we'll do a little research, not, though. I think if we get yeah. online and we do a little Googling, we should be able to figure that one out. Yeah, well, it's not for sure yet. But, uh, okay. but yeah, but but but, uh, 19, but uh, 2021 is going to... Uh, hopefully we're on the other, uh, on the other side of this uh, pandemic by then. I, I have faith that we will be. And uh, hopefully, we'll, like you say, we'll do some dates some dates toward the end of this year but next year is going to be a big year uh for ario speedwagon and our loyal fans who uh you know who allow us to continue to uh uh have our rock and roll dreams come true so thank you eddie for your part in that thanks to our fans and everybody be careful uh take care of yourself take care of your family and we'll see you out there sooner than later let's hope thanks kev all the best to you and the family thanks for the time all right bye-bye buddy bye-bye Well, thanks to Kevin Cronin of REO Speedwagon. Great to visit with him. Great conversation there. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, like all the interviews you hear on the podcast, it originally took place on my live Sirius XM volume radio show, Trunk Nation, which you can hear Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 and 10 to midnight Eastern time on channel 106. And as I said earlier, you can get Sirius XM now if you don't have it for free with the Sirius XM app. Sign up at SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. Free SiriusXM until May 15th. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the podcast as usual. And again, you guys be safe, be healthy. Connect with me on social media at Eddie Trunk and at EddieTrunk.com. See you next Thursday for another all new episode. Have a good, safe week, everybody.
Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.